Again, following the message, we will ask the Lord to bless it in a word of prayer. And then we will sing together Psalter 408, all the stanza, Psalter 408. Dear congregation belonging to Christ, it's only one week since Easter Sunday, and that made me think, well, let me invite you this evening to consider with me another wonderful account about Jesus as the risen Savior indeed. And again, as I mentioned, only Luke writes about this event. We are talking about what is likely also the fourth of five resurrection appearances on first Easter Sunday when Jesus arose. And it's the account that we read of Jesus' visit and talk with the two from the village of Emmaus. As one commentator said, this charming story is one of the best loved of the resurrection narratives. And there is something very moving in one of the risen Lord's few appearances, 11 altogether, being given to these humble, otherwise mostly unknown disciples. J.C. Ryle states about our text for this service, quote, of all the 11 recorded appearances of Christ after his resurrection, none perhaps is so interesting as the one described in our text, Luke 24, 13 to 35. So the theme for our sermon is, as mentioned in the bulletin, another wonderful account about Jesus as risen Savior. Let us learn from it the following three thoughts, or follow it along those thoughts, three of them, namely how our text proclaims so triumphantly, beautiful gospel, blessed gospel, and bountiful gospel. And I pray God the Holy Spirit will bless you through the message, hearing the sermon as I also was in preparing it, as I will share later this passage has special personal significance. That this story about Jesus' resurrection appearance to the two from Emmaus is, is beautiful gospel. It comes out just hearing the story. Don't you agree? I mean, can't you see these two followers of Christ leaving Jerusalem mid-afternoon that first Sunday and conversing with each other and being, as Jesus himself noticed about them, altogether sad and, and perplexed. We don't know who these two were. Or was it two men, or was it a man, was it a man and a woman, a man and a wife? We know the name of one, Cleopas, but that name is further unknown to us as well. Clearly, the Lord Jesus had far more followers than, than we know, than told much about in the Bible, too. We are told in 1 Corinthians 15 that at one time Jesus made an appearance to over 500 brethren. Who were they? Can you name 500 brethren named in the New Testament? I don't think so. What I'm underscoring is there's so much more than 
then we realize, and we're told what we're told, for the Lord to lead us in the way of grace and truth with full confidence in Him. So see now these two people traveling home after a most eventful and strange, troublesome day, according to the both of them. It was probably about a 10 to 12 kilometer walk, taking at least an hour and a half, I'm guessing, uh, going at a steady pace. Do you see those two walking and conversing with each other? reviewing the events of the day and being sad and perplexed. It was already the third day since Jesus' crucifixion and burial. And that third day, some strange reports were being rumored that Jesus had risen from the dead. The two were devastated with Jesus' death on the cross, and they could not in any way think it possible that Jesus had risen again. They were talking and They were walking on their way home with dashed hopes and sad hearts. Why? Well, because all their hopes and dreams and expectations with this Jesus of Nazareth, who had appeared on the scene as a very special person and had been with them for three years at least, and who was, yes, as verse 19 says, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Well, now he had been crucified. And after all, according to them, He was not now the promised Messiah that they had so sought and hoped he was. As verse verse 21 states, they had trusted that this Jesus had been he who should have redeemed Israel. But now it was not so. And they were left so disappointed and distressed and depressed and in dismal darkness of mind and heart. Have you been there before? Probably most of us have or not in one way or another. You know, it's so good for us when facing real sorrows and disappointments, when following great expectations that all of a sudden come crashing down and our hopes are dashed and our bright outlook comes to nothing. It's so good then, isn't it, to be able to talk to someone else about it. Haven't you found that as well? When your hopes are dashed and you can talk to someone. Yet what does it help, congregation? I ask you, what does it help us if there's not a way out of our dilemma and trouble? You know, and that's the situation it is in our, in our fallen world. The world is full of problems. The world is full of disappointments. The world is full of dismay. And people talk about it and talk about it, but they can't get out of their trouble. There's no real solution. But you see, this is the power of the Christian gospel. In times of greatest darkness and despair and perplexity, There's an answer of hope and help for real, for sure, forever. This is the power of the gospel. Yes, God comes to bring light and salvation and deliverance, bright and sure and everlasting, even in our darkest times. And we see this unfold in our text passage, don't we? How so? Well, let's follow the story. Jesus, we're told, as resurrected Savior, all of a sudden, he's following these two. And he comes alongside of them, walking with them. We're told they don't know it's Jesus. Because, for one, they never expected. They had no thinking that he was alive. They assumed he was still dead. But we're also told 
that somehow the Lord kept his identity from them at this time. Literally, you could translate, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Mark, in his gospel, and he's the only other one who refers in one verse to this resurrection appearance, he says, he says this, after that, Mark 16, 12, after that, Jesus appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. In another form, yes, in his resurrected, glorified body, and they didn't recognize him. And as we'll see, the Lord Jesus actually had good reasons for not allowing them right away to recognize him. Follow me, follow me along so you can tell me the good reasons why later. He didn't want them to recognize him at first. Someone commented truthfully in connection with this humbling truth, quote, we cannot see the risen Christ, although he be walking with us, unless he wills to disclose himself to us. And that's true, congregation. And it, it brings out the necessity for us again and again to ask the Lord to reveal himself to us. And not to, not, not to think we can do it ourselves, but we are dependent on his grace to make himself known to us and to, to make himself known to us again and afresh and afresh again. And this engaging story of our text passage altogether declares, surely, the Lord does delight to make himself known to us, even as we ask him, and even before we ask him. Christ delights to make himself known to poor and needy ones. So Jesus comes alongside of these two people, and noticing how they're talking a lot together, and that in such sad and melancholy tones, he asks them, verse 17, what they are talking about and why so sad and glum. By the way, it's very interesting how Jesus, with various questions, seeks to draw out his disciples. With his questions, he draws out what's in their minds and hearts. And so he ministers to them wonderful words of life. He shows true pastoral skill here as the good shepherd of his sheep. How much we can learn from Jesus' approach here. Don't you think so? Also, because history members. Cleopas is apparently the more talkative of the two, and he began to answer, begins to answer Jesus' question with a counter-question. He wondered if, if their fellow walker was a total stranger to the events that had taken place in Jerusalem that past weekend, that special Passover weekend. Yes, when Jesus was crucified. Well, Jesus, he, he responds with another question. What things were they talking about? And you see, again, he's out to draw out more from them. And then they tell him all about Jesus and the terrible deaths he suffered by the hands of the chief priests and the rulers of the land. How he was crucified with two others as if he was the worst of them. And they notice they first blame, the first blame for Jesus' death they mentioned the Jewish religious leaders and then the authorities of the day, referring to Pilate and Herod and their soldiers. Then, as we mentioned already, as told by them in verses 20 to 24, they expand on what for them was unexpected. His, his crucifixion was totally unexpected. 
and his death and his burial. But now what was also unexpected, they, they shared this. They were hearing some stories from women that were spreading that Jesus had risen from the dead. Certain women, they tell, they tell Jesus, who had come out to the tomb where Jesus' body had been placed, they, they found the tomb empty that morning, that very morning that they were walking now. And they, and they said something about seeing a vision of angels who had also told them that Jesus was risen from the dead. And when some of the disciples, referring especially to Peter and John, had run to the tomb in report, to check out this report of the women, they found that indeed the sepulcher was empty. But Jesus they saw not. Ah, you see, it was also very confusing. Also very confusing to these two from Emmaus as they pondered all these things. Following their outburst to Jesus, we next hear Jesus' response to them, beginning at verse 25. It's beautiful gospel. It surely is. Jesus first admonishes them for being slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And he explains further to them, doesn't he, with a probing question drawing from the Scriptures, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? The two disciples from Emmaus were thinking only about Messiah's glory when coming. But are not the Scriptures also telling and foretelling of his sufferings, Jesus brings out, as promised Redeemer and Messiah, Deliverer of his people? What about Isaiah 53? What about all the Old Testament sacrifices? How did they not see nor know this from the Word of God itself? And then follows verse 27, which tells in a few words what is without doubt one of the greatest sermons ever preached on God's Word. Luke tells us, And beginning as Moses and all the prophets, he that is Jesus expounded unto them all the Scriptures, the things concerning himself. In other words, congregation, Jesus showed them from the Old Testament scriptures, starting with Moses, the writings of Genesis, Exodus, etc., how the sufferings of Christ, the Messiah, were really God-ordained, and the God-ordained appointed way to His glory, and He could not go to glory in other, any other way, and He could not be the Messiah, Savior for us in any other way. And so Jesus made plain from all the Old Testament Bible, there can be no salvation for sinners except through Jesus' death and resurrection. And how the Bible actually foretold this all, even throughout the Old Testament. As one Bible commentator put it, the two from Emmaus had wrong ideas what the Old Testament taught, and thus they had wrong ideas about the cross and no hope in the Messiah, Jesus' resurrection either. And Jesus now, he rightly explained and interpreted the scriptures to them. The verb used for expounded is a word related to hermeneutics, which is a term dealing with the proper faithful reading and understanding of scripture. And Jesus was giving them a lesson in hermeneutics, explaining the scriptures to them. Well, how wisely did one say about the sermon of Jesus to the two from Emmaus, many a commentator has remarked on this verse 27 that it would have been such a blessing to the church if it had possessed the exposition which Jesus gave here. Let's imagine if we just had a sermon audio message copy of Jesus' word here. But for wise reasons, congregation, we may believe it has been withheld from us 
Though I too would have loved to hear that sermon from Jesus. Several have attempted to supply what Jesus may all have said, but it is probable that that we have at best very inadequate views and ideas of the fullness of the Lord's exposition of his own word, testifying of himself. Judging from the use of Jesus and how he made use of Scripture during his whole ministry, he saw probably many things concerning himself which modern commentators and the best of preachers even today will utterly fail to discover. But having said that now, dear congregation, you can well understand with me, can't you, how quickly that time went by in their walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus with Jesus at their side. Don't you find, too, when you're with good friends or good company and you're talking about the best things ever, time just flies by. Well, that surely is what happened here. And before they knew it, they were come to their place, their residence in Emmaus, And Jesus, we are told, didn't impose himself on them, on these two men, or these two, this couple maybe, which I think they were as they came to their home, but he he would have gone further, it says. But then they asked him, no, please, please come in with with them and and, and stay a while, for, for the hour is late, and it's dangerous out there when it's dark, and oh, how they loved his company. And we can say Jesus was not pretending when he acted as if he would go on further, but Jesus also by this means was again drawing them out. And to those who ask him, oh, how ready he is to abide with us. So there they are in the house together. And everything's normal after a long walk. It's just like we would have after a long walk and an engaging talk. Well, you have a meal of sorts, right? It wasn't a communion meal, as some have wrongly thought, nor a miraculous meal, as others have suggested. No, but it was just an ordinary meal prepared by the two living there to be enjoyed with their welcome guest. The difference came when instead of the host offering the meal further, after it was all prepared, Jesus himself took the bread and prayed and broke the bread and gave it to them. And all of a sudden, When that happened, their eyes were opened. And they realized, oh, this was Jesus himself, the risen Christ before them. Something of Jesus' behavior when he took the bread and broke it and prayed. Maybe that that triggered it. As he had done before when he was still alive with them, before his crucifixion. And very possibly, I agree with those who suggest, when he broke the bread and, and gave it to them, What did they see, children? In his hands. His nail-pierced hands. The holes. It's Jesus. Jesus was with them. We have to say, actually, don't we? It was God's time that actually determined to make it known to them when they realized it, however they realized it that their guest was indeed Jesus himself, the crucified one, now risen right before them, in their house with them. And when they realized it, we're told, Jesus vanished from them. You know, congregation, in his resurrected, glorified body, Jesus could come and go, couldn't he? In a way, as is not the case with us in our, in our body presently, 
in the state of humiliation. And it was the same with Jesus' body, when it's still in the state of humiliation. He couldn't come and go like he could with his, when he was resurrected. But how beautiful is what happens further in the story. When he left all of a sudden, what's next in the story? What did the two disciples do in that house in Emmaus? Do they say, let's go to bed now? Boy, that was special. If they did, I'm sure they couldn't sleep. No, what did they do? They said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? That meant, they meant with this how, how Jesus' talk and explanation of the word had so stirred them so deeply, even as Jesus was speaking to them. And they began in their minds and hearts to have hope again, hope again in, in Jesus crucified and that, yes, indeed, perhaps he had risen again. And now Jesus, he made it so plain, didn't he, to them from the Scriptures. It all seemed too good to be true, though. And yet they found out it is true. Jesus had risen from the dead, and they saw him. And he was just with them and ate with them without a doubt. And the next part is so beautiful as well. For what do these two disciples do then? Well, they don't go to bed, as I said, no. Right then and there, they decide to have to return to Jerusalem, the 10, 12 kilometers back there, to tell the others, Jesus had risen indeed. As one said, the arguments they used before with Jesus to abide with them because, well, it was late evening and the day was far spent and and it's dangerous out there, etc. Apparently that all didn't weigh any more, anything at all. No, but... But they they went back to Jerusalem. They went flying back to Jerusalem. You can imagine with the good news they had to tell the disciples and the other followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. And then, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful the way we are told in verse 34 when they come to that upper room somewhere in Jerusalem before they can tell their story that Jesus had risen indeed. Those inside the room tell the two from Emmaus, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. We know Jesus' third resurrection appearance was to Simon Peter alone, as told us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. But finally, the the two from Emmaus get their chance to tell what they had learned and experienced. And as stated in verse 32, they told the others, and in the Greek, it's in a verb form, meaning they kept on, they kept on and on telling about Jesus' walk with them and talk with them, and the visit with them just hours earlier, and, and they told what things were done in the way, and how he, Jesus, was known in the breaking of bread. Well, again, congregation, can you, can't you just hear these two talking? Not just Cleopas now, but notice both of them, because the pronoun in verse 35, I think it's verse 35, as they, not just Cleopas, but they, they both were talking. They both were so overflowing with, with what they experienced. And then Luke further mentions how these followers of Jesus, so excited about, about what they were discovering, this wonderful good news that Jesus really had risen from the dead and was the living Savior. <laughs> then suddenly, Jesus himself, he comes in their midst for his fifth appearance that, la- that first Easter Sunday. And he says to them, peace be unto you. Congregation, if you ever think, why do I have to go to church twice? Never forget the first Easter Sunday, Jesus made five resurrection appearances, ministering here, there, everywhere for his church. We honor him when we come to church as we are able. Well, 
That fifth appearance is another sermon by itself. But for now, do you agree with me, dear congregation? What a beautiful gospel story is this account of Jesus, the risen Savior, meeting with the two from Emmaus. Doesn't it warm your heart too? Just going over the details of the story a little bit, even when you know it so well, perhaps. How precious the way God's Word reveals to us Jesus Christ as only Savior and Lord. Also, by means of these engaging true stories, like what Luke researched and tells us about in our text passage. Don't let anyone tell you, or don't let you ever reflect the Bible as a boring book. No, it's a beautiful book. Not boring at all. If we have ears to hear and eyes to see. And to see that it's not only beautiful, but also our second point. Notice with me, it's a most blessed gospel. Beautiful gospel, blessed gospel. And by blessed, I mean it's, it's good news for us still today, this whole account, in so many ways. And let me show you at least the following four ways. For one, notice how this text story shows Jesus so caring for those who are struggling and troubled in their minds and hearts for whatever reasons. The Lord is out to heal the brokenhearted, to bind up our wounds. And we see that in the resurrected Savior. Jesus is the Savior of sinners, the crucified and risen Redeemer who still so cares for us in our needs and is out to minister to us in our struggles and troubles, in and with the perplexities and problems in life that we meet with. And we meet with them, don't we? And with the sorrows and disappointments in life that comes our way and they come our way. You need to know this. The Lord cares. He cares so much. And he's out to provide real solution and help and comfort like cannot be found anywhere else. Jesus came into this world, don't we? We know, don't we? Sent of the Father, anointed by the Holy Spirit. Yes, to save sinners like us from our worst of problems namely our sin and guilt and bondage and condemnation under God's righteous judgment left to ourselves. He came to deliver us from death and from hell. We need such a perfect, almighty, crucified and risen Savior to save us from our sins. And when we once learn the grace and mercy and love of God as shown in His plenteous redemption for needy people like us through His shed blood, And his resurrection as Savior, well, we can go to him for everything and anything else in life. He graciously, mightily, repeatedly, patiently, lovingly will minister to us as you and I call to him. He's a living Savior for this reason. I remind you that these two from Emmaus were but simple folk, simple folk, relatively unknown disciples, But see how Jesus cared for them and ministered to them. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be someone that's done a lot to be ministered to by Jesus and cared for by him. No. Be encouraged, congregation, with this blessed gospel story. Won't you? How Jesus is out to minister to us in all our needs by God's grace and spirit. Ask him to walk with you whatever you're going through now. And see if he cannot provide help and comfort for you. Maybe you respond, though. But Jesus doesn't dwell among us here on earth now. 
So how can we know and experience His blessed gospel help in all our needs, in our time? Yes, even in our very difficult, perilous times in our 21st century world. But here we need to see what I said earlier was the wisdom of the Savior shown in our text in not immediately making Himself known to the two disciples from Emmaus. Please notice this from the text, that Jesus, rather than have the disciples... The two of them caught up with himself as the word made flesh, the one who was crucified and now risen again. Instead of that, Jesus does what? Jesus shows them from out of all the Bible that we can count on what the scriptures teach us about him as crucified and risen Savior. Congregation, we don't need Jesus in his body here on earth now. But instead, let us ever read from and learn from and feed upon and be blessed by the Christ as unfolded to us from the Scriptures by the Spirit of God in all the Bible. The Scriptures are all about Him. You know, you know, the, you know Thomas, he didn't believe in Jesus when he arose. He couldn't believe Jesus rose. But then Jesus made another appearance and he came to faith in Jesus, and then Jesus says to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet have believed. Yes, on the basis of Scripture, you see. And Jesus here was also teaching, wasn't he, to his disciples. He was giving them training. And for the church of all ages, preach the word. Preach the word, for it's the means by the Holy Spirit to make known to us Christ, the crucified and risen Savior. It's the means by which all of Christ as only Savior is proclaimed to us and brought near to us in all his fullness. The Bible testifies of me, said Jesus to his disciples. And the faithful church congregation ever preaches and teaches the scriptures to make known the Christ and to bring him close to us in our hearts and in our lives. Are you in trouble and downcast and discouraged in any way? Could it be because maybe you are not reading and hearing and heeding the Scriptures? Is that not ultimately the problem, not just for the people of the world still unsaved, but often, too often, of those who are saved as well, including myself? We don't treasure and prize and trust the Scriptures as we might and should. We don't recognize enough. It's by the Word of God opened up that the Lord makes known Himself to us. If we don't treasure and prize and trust the Scriptures, then Christ will seem like a stranger to us. Every true Christian, yes, also here, I'm sure, will tell, tell you, most if not all of my problems in life stem from this, ignoring what God says in His Word. And either disobeying His Word altogether or else not heeding to it as God calls us to do. So here on the basis of our text, dear congregation, listen also to this Christian exhortation, won't you? Let us do our utmost to make use of the means of grace. Yes, and not to neglect the church services, if at all possible. Let us prayerfully use these means that God has ordained to open to us His Word and His Word to us 
time and time again. Is it not wise, also in this regard, to make it a priority throughout the week to have daily personal and family devotions? And even as our schedule allows for it to attend other meetings and studies where you can learn and go deeper into God's Word. I know spring and summer is coming, and you're going to be busy and working hard, and, and, and that's, that's all right and good. But don't let it squeeze out time with you and the Bible. For God speaks through His Word. And God, keep us from thinking we know it all already. For the truth is the most learned among us still know so very little of the unsearchable riches of God's inspired gospel word as revealed to us in all the scriptures. We need to ask also, if you are not much into the word and truths of God as revealed in Christ incarnate, and in his infallible, inspired gospel word, what is, what is occupying your mind and heart in its place? Isn't one of the reasons for the church's poor gospel witness today that too many in the church are filled with the same preoccupations and same interests as this ungodly world? Rather than with the unspeakable, incomparable, everlasting treasure of God's gospel word. Revealed to us in the Holy Bible. All I'm trying to say here as congregation is stay with the Word and you will meet with Jesus as you ask Him to show Himself to you. And here notice with me a third way from our text passage that, that, that proves itself indeed as such blessed gospel, namely in the way it warms and enthralls the mind and heart as nothing else can do. When the two from Emmaus said their hearts burned within them as Jesus opened the scriptures to them, it it means they saw what God's word was telling them and they saw it was such necessary truth and such wonderful truth and urgent and fulfilling gospel truth, the most best news that could ever be known. And their hearts were just so warm to the gospel as they heard it because they saw how much they needed it and how much it fully supplied all their needs. You know, congregation, nothing can satisfy our minds and hearts and bring us to Christ and transform our lives for good like the gospel of Jesus Christ in all the 66 books of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The word of God opened to them by Jesus brought divine heat and light in their heart and mind. And it gave them to realize, oh, the rich promise and perspective of Scripture for the daily pathway of life as nothing else can do. Congregation is when you and I search the Scriptures and God leads us under His Word by His Spirit and truth that we come to learn Jesus, the crucified and risen Savior. He is, He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by Him. But coming to Him, we come to the Father through Him because of His perfect person and work. Well, do you know of this resonating of the gospel truth in your mind and heart? that it engages you, that it enthralls you, and that it draws you to Christ truly and time and again. From the Word have you learned how much you need Christ, a vile, defiled sinner by nature. 
And have you learned the preciousness of Christ for even the chief of sinners? For as often as we come to him, blessing us and helping us time and time again, do you know of the joy of seeking and following after Jesus in line with his word? Doesn't this come out in our text passage as that which is all important and ever necessary in our brief earthly pilgrimage? Shall we truly be led in the way everlasting? This beautiful story of our text also brings out yet another way it is so blessed, and that is it, it gives such blessed gospel and that it, it shows us also how the Lord loves to be asked to be our teacher and guide and our comforter and helper and Savior and Lord. Do you ask him, children? Do you ask Jesus to be your guide and your Savior and Lord? Young people? Oh, Jesus won't force himself on us. But he stands at the door of our lives, especially every time under the preaching of the gospel, showing he will be a minister to us as we call upon him. As you hear the good news from the scriptures concerning Jesus Christ, the almighty, gracious, glorious, once crucified, but now, yes, ever risen, glorified, exalted Savior, will you too and do I and we together regularly ask him, abide with us, abide with us, please don't leave us. But tell us more and explain to us more and show us more of yourself and your ways. For we just so desire to hear the good news and to know and experience your comfort and your comfort and your guidance and your company and help in all the world, knowing that nothing of this world can compare to what you teach and make known to us as Savior God in Jesus Christ and all his gospel word. And here, congregation... Here in, let me tell you, my personal testimony in regards to our text, which some of you may know. I've mentioned it to some before, but now I'm telling the whole congregation. Namely, how our text passage includes a verse which was chosen by our minister when we got married. And that minister happened to be my dad. We got married for logistical reasons we won't go into on Easter Monday. And in that time, we, a couple was not asked, do you have a text that you would like me to preach on? But he would just choose the text. And you know what text he chose? Luke 24, 29. The words, but they constrained him, saying, abide with us. And the minister was telling us with this text, for true and marital blessing, the way forward was ever to look to Jesus and to ask for him and his constant care and keeping and guidance in all our lives, and to pray daily, thus, abide with us. And I can tell you, dear congregation, well, we as married couple and as parents and as church members and workers often failed him and proved ourselves sinful, alas, in so many ways still, yet Christ the Lord has never failed us. Never. As we, by God's grace, prayed regularly, Lord, abide with us in all the ups and downs of life. The Lord, in covenant mercy and love, answered our prayers. Christ the Lord is pleased to abide with all who call on him. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. 
True blessing for soul and body in life and death for now and forever, also in marriage and family, comes only always in abiding with Christ and His Word and having Him abide with us in all our needs and cares. Well, do not all God's true people learn this blessed gospel truth? Yes. And doesn't our text then also cause that truth to burn within us? It's just so rich, so true, so blessed gospel beyond words to tell. How opposite for all those who will not look to Christ and who refuse to believe on Him as crucified and risen Redeemer, the one and only one who can save us from our sin and lead us in the way everlasting. Here, just think with me of others that first Easter Sunday even and afterwards. I mean, what joy and hope did Pilate and Herod have? Or the unbelieving Jews, or even the followers of Jesus who would not believe first, like I mentioned about Thomas. They were in such darkness, in such misery. There's only darkness and doom and gloom and eternal destruction for all who will not trust and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. But oh, the joy and blessing of ever calling upon Christ Jesus and never wanting Him to leave you as your Savior and Lord. People of God here, don't, don't you know with me and don't you want to show this with me as one expressed in a poem reflecting this. Oh, thou who didst with mourners walk along their sad and tearful way, who with the doubting too didst talk and turn their darkness into day. Now walk with us, so slow of heart, thy words of promise to receive, wisdom and faith and hope impart, and help the faithless to believe. O oh, speak to us, expound thy word, let us a blessed assurance feel. Draw near, O gracious risen Lord, to us thy blessed self reveal. Thus shall our longing heart aspire to know thy love, to see thy face. So shall love's bright and holy fire light up the path of truth and grace. Well, dear congregation, don't we see, see this t- from the two of Emmaus? So blessed, indeed, beyond measure, in this gospel way, super abundantly so, you could say. And here we come just briefly yet to our last main point under our theme on our text passage about this wonderful visit of Jesus as risen Savior. We have seen this story jubilantly proclaims to us beautiful gospel and blessed gospel. Notice lastly how it also tells us of bountiful gospel. And I mean, don't we see this very clearly in our text? How these two just couldn't contain themselves with the joy and the peace and the good news they learned about Jesus and His perfect everlasting presence with them forever now as their living almighty savior from all sin and evil i mean they had to go and tell others and that right away too they couldn't wait till the next day their minds and hearts were just overflowing you see with praise and adoration and inexpressible joy with the good news of the gospel the unbelievable news that jesus who was crucified he rose again as he said, to be the living Savior for them, for now and forever. Do some of you know the song, Because He Lives? Because He Lives, the refrain goes, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know He holds the future. And life is worth the living just because 
He lives. It's so true also what I read from another Christian. To find Christ is the most wonderful discovery of all. And it's too good to be kept to oneself. In the consistory before service, the elder of service prayed, Help us, Lord, not to be stingy with the gospel, but to pass it on as we are given opportunity. How can you and I become more like these early disciples who eagerly told their family and their friends and whoever about Jesus? Isn't it with ever abiding with Christ and His Word and having our hearts warmed that way under His Word? Jesus says in John 15, Abide in me and my Word, and I abide in you, and you will bear fruit. That's the way it is. Oh, let us hear and live accordingly. And it's so bountiful, this whole gospel. For isn't it so neat and so telling, so typical of the Lord that when these two went to Jerusalem to tell the good news, well, they were first told more good news themselves. When you're, when you're in the way of the Lord, you, you get good news again and again and again. That's right. When you're in the way of the Lord, you get constant good news till your dying breath and then forevermore in glory. And you won't find it anywhere else by anyone else but with Jesus alone. Jesus came in their midst while they went to tell the others. It just concludes further. Boy, this gospel is greater than we could ever have imagined and dreamed up. It's true what the psalmist of Psalm 23 says. The Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. And he makes my cup overflow, run over. That's the way it is in the gospel way. Congregation, if you want to spread joy and peace overflowing, if you want to know joy and peace overflowing, you won't ultimately find that with sports teams or political parties or even with all the money and fame and pleasures of this world or with somehow something of yourself. No, but only always in and with Jesus Christ and union with Him, the crucified and risen Savior, constantly repenting of sin and trusting and following Him alone as your only Savior and Lord. And I pray that our exalted Savior now, by His Word and Spirit, will so mercifully and mightily bless us, each one here in this service, as He did the two from Emmaus so long ago. Yes, with His blessed, beautiful, bountiful gospel that still is the only good news for fallen mankind. Amen.